What's up? What's up? What's up? How we doing, Salt Company? Rainy days, but there's hot cocoa. That's nice. Thank you, Dylan and Lindsay, and all the helpers who made the hot chocolate. How is it? Is it good? Is it is it milk based, water based, water based? It's all right. It's okay. Any uh, lactose intolerance, you can still drink it, but milk is way better. Um, Emily, I love what you said. Just just that that God doesn't need us, but He delights in using us. Um, I think that all the time, just in myself, and even in the role that I am now, that just I don't feel like I'm a great communicator, and don't. I mean, I get extremely terrified before nights like this. I wouldn't even plan on saying this, but God can use whoever he pleases. And what an honor that he chooses to use broken people like us. Because nobody has it together. Just that one guy in the Bible, Jesus, he had it all together for us. And that has changed everything. So uh, if you saw that dude in the video with the stash, the trash stash, Logan, uh, and the deep voice that like that doesn't make any sense. It's like, it's low. And I went, I went to... Uh... That's my boy. Some of you got the, the, the chance to meet him a few weeks ago. Uh, and I just want to share a little story that happened with Logan and I back in Cedar Falls this last year. That's where, that's where I lived last year. And we went to go play tennis one day. Now, I played a little tennis in, in high school. And so I know that Logan didn't play any tennis. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm about to put a whooping on him. And Logan's a good athlete. And we are always going back in, in competitions and stuff. But I think, okay, I for sure got him in this one. And then we went out. And we start warming up, and then I knew for sure I had him in this one because he's hitting all the, if, if any of you play tennis, he's putting zero topspin on it. He's hitting everything flat like this, okay? And, and again, like, I'm not a good tennis player, but I'm, I'm thinking, okay, I at least know how to put topspin on the ball. And so we get out, he wants to play a set, and, and I size him up, and I'm like, yeah, I got him. And so we start playing, and then he's just going off and just getting everything back. They're not powerful shots, but he's just getting everything back. And then I just start making mistakes and then I get in my head and I'm getting angry at myself. And next thing you know, I drop a game. Then I drop a couple games and I end up getting waxed by Logan. Okay. Don't ever tell him I told you that if he comes back here, but yes, he, he destroyed me. And, and my problem was, is I sized this guy up and ultimately just thought I'm better than him. And, and I feel like this is something that we, we all do in life, don't we? We, we like to look around at other people and, and find flaws that they have that maybe we feel like we don't have. And the reason we do this is that insecurity because we feel better about ourselves. It's nice to find somebody else who, who doesn't have it all together and we think, yeah, yeah, make me feel better about myself. We can puff out our chest a little bit. And, and the problem is when we bring that into spiritual things and we start to think thoughts like, man, I, I, I deserve God's mercy on my life. I deserve his grace. But that people, they, them over there, them in Japan over there, like they don't deserve God's grace. Or that person across the classroom, like, you know what they did last night. Like they don't deserve God's grace. And it's thoughts like that that are so crippling and totally against what the good news of the gospel says. And so tonight's message is about a time where, where Jesus was speaking to an audience and he reveals to them that their attitudes towards others is pretty judgmental. His audience actually thought thoughts like I'm talking about, that we actually deserve God's grace on our life. But these other countries around us, they don't deserve it. 
And so we're gonna look at a story in Luke chapter four uh, where Jesus confronts them in that. And so if you have a Bible, you can start to turn there. Um, and there, there should be some, on, there's, I don't think any under the seats. Uh, they'll be on the screen behind me. But before we, before we get to that, uh, I just wanna to zoom out and give us a little run through of this book right here. Because this story is not gonna make sense if we don't understand that the Bible is actually one long story that all of us are living inside of right now. Like, if you go to Genesis, you have the very beginning, and we find out that God has always existed. And then at Revelation, the last book of the Bible, we see how, how things end when Jesus one day comes back for, his, for, for the church. Um, but when God first created the world, everything was perfect. There was no sin. There was no COVID. There was no suffering. There was no pain. There was no, no abuse. Everything was perfect as God designed it. But obviously we look around now and we see that things are not as they should be and something happened. And you can read about it in the third chapter of the Bible. Man was tempted by, by the serpent, by the devil, and they rebelled against God. And because they rebelled against God, that brought huge consequences on the world. That, that, that's the reason why we see that things are not as they should be. And, and the reason why bad things happen to people that we think are good and Good things happen to people that we think are bad. But the Bible has the answers for this. And something that we need to see tonight for this story to make sense is a long, long time ago, God made a promise to a certain nation. And that promise was this, that they would be his chosen people. And this meant two things, okay? One, they had a privilege, right? That was that they, they would know the God of the universe. And they would know um, that he is the true God in his ways. And then the second thing was they had a responsibility, which was to point the world around them, the other nations around them, to the true living God and the promise of this one who would one day come to fix everything and make all things new. And we can read about this, this promise in the 12th chapter of all of our Bibles. And it's in Genesis chapter 12, uh, verse one, where God makes this promise to this man named Abraham, okay? Abram at the time, but changed to Abraham. And I just wanna read it. And guys, these three verses are like the hinge verses to the entire Bible, okay? So it says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So there was nothing special about this guy named Abram. In fact, we find out later in the Bible that he was a, a pagan worshiper. He didn't even worship the true God, but God sought him in his grace and mercy and went to Abraham and chose him and made this promise that, hey, I'm gonna turn you into a great nation and through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Okay, so if you follow the story, believe it or not, uh, the whole Old Testament is about that nation, and that nation is the nation of, of Israel, the Jews, the Hebrew people. And we find out the whole reason that God wanted to bless them was so that, not that they would just keep it to themselves, but they would be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. And, and we follow the story, and you and I can know now that, hey, that person who would end up coming through that nation was Jesus the Messiah, the one who came 
to make all things new and, 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 and die on the cross and live the life that we were all required to, that Abraham was required to but could not, and then raise again. And for those who looked to him, they could have life. Okay, and so this promise was, was made to Abraham, and the whole Old Testament follows the Israelites. But what we need to know, again, is they had a, they had a privilege and they had a responsibility. And more often than not, the Israelites puffed out their chest and they thought, we're better than the people who aren't Israelites. We're better than the other nations because God chose us. There's something special about us. And they chose to keep God to themselves and not share him with others. And so we'll go to Luke chapter four when Jesus is now on the scene. This is right around the time he begins his ministry. Okay. And this is one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible. And, and I think it's really easy that if we read through this quickly, like we'll miss some of the important details and implications that it has. And so um, I'm just going to read it. It's, it's, at the, it's right at the start of Jesus's ministry. And we're in Luke chapter four. We'll start in verse 16. It says, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. All right, Nazareth was Jesus's hometown. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, which was a book in the Old Testament that had lots of foretellings of this Messiah who would come one day, which we know is Jesus. Okay, and that scroll was given to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Now, just imagine what's happening here, okay? Jesus walks in to his hometown synagogue. And, and at this point, Jesus was a rabbi, which was a Jewish, a Jewish teacher. And he walks in and the attendant hands him a scroll and it's, and it's from Isaiah. He opens it up and he begins to read two verses from Isaiah 61. We can see this in our, in our Old Testament. And then he gives it back to the attendant and sits down. And everybody fixes their eyes on him and they're all staring at him. And it would be as if, you know, I stopped right now in the middle of a sentence, like during the service and just went and sat down. It would be really awkward. They're all looking at him and, and they're like, wait, what's, you know, what, what's going on? And the reason is, is because Jesus actually left out part of the verse. He left out part of it that they would have known because these Jewish people were highly religious. And so, um, what we find out, if you read Genesis, I'm sorry, Isaiah 61, is he leaves out a part, or first he talks about all the good things that would happen when the Messiah came, how he would, uh, you know, make the oppressed no longer oppressed. He would give sight to the blind. And then he leaves out a part, the part about the vengeance of our God. There was this day where, where God would judge the world. And we have to remember, you see, at this time, the Jews, they were under Roman occupation. Okay, they were enslaved to the Roman Empire. And they were waiting for the Savior of the world that they, they very much knew the promises in the Old Testament to come and 
and to make them uh, not the other nations right with God, but they wanted them to come and crush all the other nations. They were hoping that Jesus would come and set up Israel again as the pinnacle of the world and destroy the Romans, okay? And so this was probably their favorite part of the verse. And they're all staring at Jesus because he doesn't finish it. And so they were hoping revenge would happen. Has has anybody seen the movie, uh, The Princess Bride? Yes, okay, a couple of you. Uh, It's old, it's it's classic, a couple decades ago. Um, But if you haven't seen it, check it out. In the beginning, we find out there's this guy named Inigo Montoya. And as a child, he watched this guy with six fingers murder his, his father, okay? And so he dedicates his whole life to being an excellent sword fighter so that one day he can get revenge. And he even practices this saying. Does anybody, anybody know, what the, you know what the saying is? What, what is it? He says, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And he's just... So he says it all throughout the movie until finally he meets this, this man because he wanted revenge. And, and the Jewish audience here, guys, they're no different. This is exactly how they felt towards the Gentile nations. They wanted revenge. They wanted their enemies to be wiped out. Now, you and I can know now, at this time, that Jesus was going to come twice. Right? The first time Jesus came, he came as the suffering servant to die for the world's sins. And then he ascended into heaven, but Jesus is coming back one day, and this hasn't happened yet. This is what the church is waiting for. Christians are waiting for, for Jesus to come back one day for his bride, the church, and make all things new, and there will be no more pain and suffering, and everything will be perfect forever. That's the hope that we have as Christians. But the Jews here, they were missing it. They were hoping that Jesus would come, or they didn't know it was Jesus. They were hoping this Messiah would come and just crush the Romans and crush all their enemies. And so all their eyes are fixed on him. And Jesus just continues and says in verse 21, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Some of them were probably mumbling to themselves like, hey, you just forgot part of the verse. Like when, but then others started to realize, oh my gosh, he's, he's claiming to be the Messiah. The one with tons of prophecies pointing to this person who would come to redeem the world in the Old Testament. And so, you know, they're like, this is incredible. And verse 22 says, and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? Remember, Jesus grew up here in Nazareth. They saw him you know, as a young boy working in the carpenter shop with his dad, his not real dad, his real dad's God, but with Joseph. And they would have known that, like, hey, we've seen this person. He's claiming to be the Messiah. This is crazy. And Jesus continues in verse 23, and he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. And I'm just sitting here thinking about what Jesus is saying and and comparing it to all my communications classes that I I had in college. And it's like, hey, hey, Jesus, bro, they're they're speaking well of you. Now's where you, you know, you drop the mic and you, and you, you walk off the stage. You know, they, they liked what you were saying, but it's almost as if Jesus is, 
is egging them on. And he states that a prophet is not acceptable in his hometown, and then he tells them why. Verse 25. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. Now, if you don't, if you don't know the story that Jesus is referring to, it's, it's a really cool, powerful story that's in the Old Testament. You can read about it in 1 Kings. But for time's sake, uh, basically the main thing you need to know is there was a widow and there was a famine going on. And this widow was not Jewish, not one of God's chosen people. And God sent a prophet to do something incredible for her so that they would survive for her and her son. And the importance of this is that she wasn't Jewish. And so that's a story that maybe you're not familiar with, but I promise you these Jews right here were completely familiar with it. And they would have known exactly what Jesus is referring to. He brings up a story where, where God sent a prophet, not just to heal or not just to, to feed and provide for anyone, but for a, a Gentile, someone who wasn't Jewish. And not just a Gentile, but a woman, which at this time was, was culturally less than, and then not just a woman, but a widow, which was very low at this time. And God sent someone to provide for them and do a miracle. And then just, just imagine how this would have affected Jesus' audience, right? Because in their minds were the chosen people, the nation God would use to bring other nations to, to, to himself. But the problem, again, is, is that they thought of themselves as God's favorites. Their attitude was, we're special and everybody else around us is not. God loves us. We deserve his favor on our lives, but these other nations don't. But their attitude should have been, hey, we know the true and living God. How can we help others know him as well? And then Jesus continues. He says, and there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. So here's another story that Jesus brings up that you're, you may not be familiar with, uh, also in the Old Testament in Jewish history where, same thing, for time's sake, I'm just gonna abbreviate it, but there's this, this man named Naaman who's uh, the commander of the Syrian army and he comes down with leprosy, okay, which is a horrible skin disease. In fact, I, I had a dream last night that I came down with it. It was horrible. I think it's because I'm teaching through this text, but uh, I woke up with a nightmare. And, and, and so Naaman hears that there's this prophet of God who may be able to heal him. So he seeks him out. Long story short, Naaman gets healed and he goes and says, I will never ever worship any other true God, any other God than the true God of Israel. Okay. And back to Jesus's audience, they all would have remembered both of these stories. And Jesus is making a point that there were two times in Jesus's history, more than two, but he brings up two specific times where God went out of his way and sent someone out of their way to help people who weren't Israelites. He helped some Gentiles. Now, how many of you are furious right now? Raise your hand if you're like really angry and ticked off. Okay, either I'm putting you to sleep or <laughs> we're missing something. Because look at how the Jews respond here. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the cliff 
on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. See, it feels good when I, when I tell you guys that, that, that God loves you. He does. Like God, God knows all the things that you've ever done that you wish that people didn't know. And God loves you. And he sent his son to die for you. And we like that. But when we start to think about the people in our life, and just think about the person who's caused you the most pain in life, the people who've wronged you the most. And I begin to tell you that God loves them too. And that God sent Jesus to die for them as well. Maybe it's that, that friend who betrayed you, the person that abused you, the girl that maybe spread lies about you, the boyfriend that cheated on you. It gets us a bit stirred up when we start to think about that. Wait, why would, why would God want anything to do with him? You see, this is exactly how Jesus' audience was feeling. In fact, even worse, they're thinking, those Gentiles are unclean. They've attacked our country. They've taken some of our relatives, of our family into slavery. They've killed people we love. And they hate this. In fact, they try to kill Jesus and they try to throw him off a cliff. 30 years they spent with this guy in Nazareth and they try to kill him. All because he insinuated that God's love is not just for you, but for all peoples. That God existed for their enemies. And then we see what I think is one of the saddest verses in the whole Bible. Um, Luke 4, verse 30, it says, but passing through their midst, he went away. They missed it so badly that Jesus felt like he had to move on because there was nothing he could do. Because these people were so consumed with themselves that Jesus said, I gotta move on. I pray, Saul, coming that that would not be our story. That we would not become so self-obsessed and consumed with ourselves that we just want the blessing of God on our own life, but not for those around us. Again, God blessed Abraham so that Abraham would be a blessing to all the peoples. Anytime in scripture where we see God bless someone and show favor on them, they're never the end goal. We're supposed to be like a conduit to transfer God's blessings to others. But let's be honest. Some people are super difficult to love, aren't they? I remember, for me, one of the hardest people to love when I was in college is I was waiting tables at, at a restaurant, and I had this manager, and I'll say his name was Josh. Um, it was not his name, but his name was Josh. And uh, he was actually a midget, and he was extremely grumpy all the time. And he would totally, like, show weird favoritism to the girls, kind of creep them out, was a jerk to all the guys, and just just he had it out for me or something. And, and all the other managers liked me and, and I liked working there, but Josh made it horrible. And I remember this one day I, I got secret shopped. It's just an example of, of how Josh was. And, and uh, which means if, if you work in a restaurant, like they'll send critics to come in, try the food and they'll go through the waiting experience and then they'll grade you on how you did. And so I come in, the general manager is telling me that, Tim, like, I'm so excited did Josh tell you what happened? And I was like, no. She, so she brings me to the office and, and she's like, Josh, give him the report. And so it's a 99, which is the second, like the best you can get is 100. 
And, and so there's, I got one point off, and now she's, she's so excited about it and wants Josh to praise me for the good job that I did or whatever. And I can see it, and he's like, good job, man. Good job. You do good. And, and like, gives me the report. He's like, here you go, man. Go, go frame it or whatever. He tells me that. So I'm like, what a jerk. And I walk out there, and then he comes by a few minutes later, and all the other servers are excited about it, and they're wanting to see it because it's kind of cool when you get graded or whatever. And then Josh comes walking along. I said, hey, bro, here you go, dude. You want to hang, hang this up on your souvenir? And he goes, I've already got tons of those hanging on my refrigerator, and they're all hundreds, not 99s. <laughs> and I'm just, I was like, I, I can't believe this dude's saying this. You know, this is hilarious. But I was thinking about this story the other day, and, and I look back at my time in college, and here's where it gets sad. It's like I, I was totally egging Josh on, and really, I didn't care about Josh. I never once asked Josh how he was doing sincerely and tried to, you know, once he was a jerk to me, I felt entitled. I felt better. I felt like I deserve God's grace, but not you, dude. You're a jerk. I'll tell, with other people, I'll tell Jesus about other people who I think deserve it, but not you. And the gospel leaves zero room for that. Zero room for that. Anytime that we feel that, we deserve the gospel. We deserve the good news. We deserve Jesus' grace. We need to repent of that mindset because it's, it's not true. Thoughts like, oh yeah, I see why God chose me. In fact, I've had sick thoughts like, God, maybe you're, you're a little lucky to have me on your team because I can, I can do things for you. And these are the kind of thoughts that can creep into our head that are totally wicked and wrong. And we think that we're better than others but the gospel leaves no room for that. No room for that at all. And it's so easy for us to fall into this where we're okay with God who wants to save us, a God who wants to show us blessing, but not others. You see, the gospel is supposed to compel us to love others. And when we realize that we actually did not deserve anything at all, and all we deserve was to be eternally punished because we've rebelled against a perfect holy God who has given us everything, made the world perfectly, what we deserve to be is punished from him forever. Like, if you guys knew some of the thoughts that I've had in my head, like, you probably would never want to talk to me again because I've, I've thought sick things. And, and it's probably the same for you because we're human and we're broken. And every single person is desperately in need of God's grace. But realizing that Jesus gave his life for us when, when we were sinners, when we wanted nothing to do with God, he came, lived the life that we were required to, took the punishment I deserved and that you deserved, and then rose again, knowing that we'd still at times reject him over and over. Imagine if you had found out this week that you have terminal cancer. And the doctor tells you, you have six months to live. Like, really think about that for a second. That would be horrible. And, and he knows for sure in six months, you're going to die. It's really bad. And then a month goes by, and someone comes to you who you've never met before, and they say, hey, 
I have the cure for all cancers. And I have an unlimited supply. And you can have it. It's yours. And you immediately take it. Your cancer's gone. Never to come back. How much of a waste would it be if we just put that in our pocket? We took it for ourselves, but just put it in our pocket and never bothered sharing it with anybody else. We look at that and we can obviously see, yeah, that would be a total waste. What we have to realize is what every single one of us had at one point was something far worse than cancer. We have a significant sin problem against a significant holy God that we can't do anything about that Jesus in his love did everything about. And it's free. In 2 Corinthians 5.15, Paul writes this. And this is his challenge to believers. He says, then he died for all, that those who live, those, that means those who repent of their sins and trust in Jesus, that's where life is found. This is this free gift that Jesus has done for dying for us and then raising again. And he's saying, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Saul Company, living for Jesus includes telling his story. It includes telling people that they have a, a significant problem and that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can get to the Father except through him. And we don't have the right to not be bold with this message and to just keep it in our pocket and to not share it with others because we think that we're better than them or to not share it with others because we don't want to get uncomfortable and to not share with others because we don't feel like we have the words to say. We need to learn. It's Jesus plus nothing. And we got to bring it. That's why we moved here. That's why we wanted to start this thing because there's 46,000 college students less than a mile from here who desperately need this message, and the majority of them do not have it. They need to know. And I don't have the right to live some comfortable life for myself when I've been given the greatest gift in the world. And what's going to compel us to go, Saul Company, is recognizing that Jesus, our King, is not asking us to do anything that he didn't do first himself. He was the only one who had the right to not do anything at broken humanity except just judge them. But he didn't. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is John 3, 17. Jesus says that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. And that mission is given to all who trust in Jesus. So if you're a follower of Jesus, we got to be bold with it. And if you've never trusted in Jesus before, you're not sure where you are with God, maybe you're thinking this, this news sounds way too good to be true. Like, Tim, you don't know the things that I've done. You don't know the thoughts that I've had. I don't deserve this. And I would say, you're right that you don't deserve this. None of us deserves this. But that's what makes the gospel so, so sweet is that none of us deserve it. None of us deserve this great gift.
what we deserve was to be eternally separated from God and punished for our sins. Because to sin against an authority like God, who's perfect and holy, brings on huge consequences. But Jesus in his love, he went first so that you could have life. And now he's called you to trust in him and take part in his mission and find purpose and hope in him. And so um, think about that. If you have questions about that, come talk to me afterwards. I'd love to share more. There's nothing special you have to pray or say to receive this gift. It's just acknowledging I'm broken and that Jesus is the answer. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much just for the purpose that we have now in crisis as Christians, as those who've trusted in you. There's nothing that I've ever done in my life and any of us here have done to deserve this grace. It's only because you're gracious and you're good. Lord, I pray that we would continue to remember this good news, meditate on it daily, and remember where we once were before we were met by your grace. Lord, I thank you for the different men and women who have come into my life and pointed me to you. I would not be where I am now had you not sent them. And so, Lord, I pray that you would send us to share with others, not keep this message just to ourselves, but we would be emboldened by it and know that you're with us. When we feel inadequate, when we feel like we don't have the words to say, Lord, you, you promise to give them to us. Will we be a people who read your word and learn the truth so that we can communicate it to others? And I thank you, Lord, that you promise to be with us till the end, till one day you unite all peoples together in Christ and there will be no more pain, no more suffering. That's the hope that we have. We love you, God. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.